0: Hey guys, Jack here. Welcome back to Just Hands. We have a fantastic episode today uh, featuring Christian Holden playing on Friday Night Poker, talking about two hands and then a little bit about um, some politics stuff that I think you guys will find interesting. As a reminder, we are brought to you by solve for y uh, The Back to Basics series I've been working on for solve for Y TV continues to come along strongly. I was just in Las Vegas recording new episodes and using a lot of Card Runners EV stuff, um, talking about a lot of theory, some hands. Uh, that's really the course that I wish I had had when I was sort of trying to learn more about poker. I think it is the foundation I would have wanted set up for myself that would have allowed me to go forward on solid footing. And so if you guys are interested in checking out that or anything else at Y TV, use the link in the show notes um, or head to Solve4YAcademy.com. And if you get there, remember to use discount code JustHands2019. That'll get you an extra five percent off. And we'll get a little bit here at the show. It'll help us keep on going. So thank you guys again, uh, and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome back to Just Hands. Uh, we're joined here today by one of the most exciting people in poker, in my opinion, at least. This is the fantastic Christian Holden, who I met through Software Why, and a really interesting take on strategy. Uh, I really like talking about poker with him, and I hope you guys will enjoy this conversation. So, Christian, how are you?
1: I'm good. Uh, How are you, Jack? I'm doing great. (laughs) So, you were recently on Friday Night Poker. Uh, Yeah, I hit them up and attempted to basically be like, hey, I know that you might be looking for some semi-popular people outside of poker to play poker. Want to let me play? And then they were like, yeah. Uh, Also, just helped that I asked Matt Berkey to do it for me and uh, he did. So that was nice.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a good strategy. Yeah. So to, to anyone who's looking to get into some juicy games, uh you know befriend some high sex crushers and then you know <laughs> assemble like an audience of ten thousand or something. Yeah. Probably more for you.
1: <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's a good strategy.
0: How'd it go? Or well uh, I guess some people probably aren't aware of the Friday Night Poker thing. It features some bigger names in poker, but it's not as big of a game as sometimes you see on PokerGo. It's like a five ten game with liberal straddling, yeah. Uh, typically, so like, what was your strategy approaching the game?
1: I generally, well, I know that there was a lot of. I knew who was going to be in the game beforehand. Uh, there was three people who I didn't know anything about, and then there was three people that I could look up as much as I wanted about, which was uh, Maria Ho, Kitty Kuo. And uh, Kristen Bicknell. So I have a PokerGo subscription. So I just basically looked up their names in the search and watched as many hands as I could find by them to get an idea of how they were going to play. Felt smart that if I was going into a game that would sometimes play as a 5'10 20 40, that I should be uh, looking to be as informed as I could possibly be. So yeah, so it was harder to actually define Ria Ho footage, which I found surprising, but I found a lot of play from from two sessions that Kristen Bicknell and Kitty Quo played. And uh, Kristen Bicknell was sort of like uh, the more surprising one uh, because uh, she had kind of like a blow-up hand that she had played on Poker After Dark. I don't know if you saw it. Uh, She gets to the river with just like ace-queen, top pair, top kicker, against what is likely an obvious like nut flush. And she bluffs a board pair which was really strange. Uh, And the person just calls with the nut flush. It was like a really interesting bluff. Like, I don't know. I I don't know that I would ever like that. I'm just going to flat out say that it's like horrible or something, but it was pretty interesting and pretty strange and felt like it wasn't going to work at least to me. Uh, But also I saw the cards. Uh, So I just, I just saw that at least Kristen Bicknell was rather creative in how she was going to, to play her hands Another thing about this is that I noticed that she uses a down bet C bet strategy on the flop, as I think both Kitty and Maria as well use. So I was basically going to the game, understanding that that was how we were going to be playing a lot of pots and was going to think about how to combat that and how to keep them off balance, basically, especially with them knowing nothing about how I play. Uh, nothing about how I'm responding to their down bet seed bet strategy, which is kind of important uh, to know if you're going to execute that style. So that would then take us to the first hand. Uh, yeah. Do you have anything to add first?
0: Uh, no. Just about uh, that. Okay. Cool. I guess one, yeah. one thing I would ask is how are you approaching like buy-in strategy based on, or I guess you probably didn't know like what the seating region was going to be or, I don't know exactly what went into that kind of decision, but I think this is an uncapped game, so it's something that is worth considering.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I showed up with 10K. I wanted to play the whole time, <laughs> so uh, I thought buying in for 3K would be sufficient, and that, yeah, that, that that's the max I was going to play. I mean, that's, that's you know, if it's if it's straddled, then that's still 150 big blinds, and otherwise it's 300 big blinds. Like, I'm not going to try to play infinitely deep with people who just who are more comfortable with that stack size than I am necessarily because I don't you know I don't play 510 20 40 I, I rarely play 510 so I figured I figured that uh, I would just max out at 300 big blinds. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm just wondering because I I noticed you played uh, you were buying in for 10k in software elite Academy game which is perhaps a tougher game I wouldn't be surprised.
1: Yeah, wow. well, I mean, the point of that was the, the point of buying in super deep in that was that the player who was like most likely to maybe stack off really incorrectly that deep also bought in that deep. Uh, so, and I was directly to his left. So, that was one of the gotcha. reasons why I bought in that deep in that game. Yeah.
0: Okay, that's from some really fun footage if those of you <laughs> who have access to that haven't seen it.
1: Yeah. Let's cool. get into it. Yeah, so we're playing seven handed. Uh, I have 3k, it's 510, no straddle, and I open under the gun uh, with king 10 off, and uh, one player folds, uh, and Kristen Bicknell uh, three bets me to 200 from the hijack. There are, everyone else folds, and it comes back to us.
0: How, what uh, handed? How many
1: people are playing? Seven handed. Seven. Yep. Yeah. One, one note is that basically at this point in the game, I've already been opening to 5x, this entire game which is just part of what my live game strategy is and they've now sort of adjusted and understood what i'm doing uh that i'm not just like 5xing with a super strong range and like feel that the observant ones are going to start three betting me lighter than normal uh because i'm putting in more you know dead money uh aggressive Mm -hmm. dead money so so they you know should be responding with three bets so that's that's one aspect of. Yeah, I
0: definitely... We're not approaching this as if, you know, Poker Snowy is 3-betting your 5x open to you know, 4x. Or was was there a straddle in the sand, you said? Or is it... 50 no straddle. To 200? Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah. Yeah. I still think, given the relative position, given where you are in your opening range and how this interacts with a 3-betting range, um, I think this is like a pretty clear fold to me. Um, (laughs) Like, I know we... I don't fold that much 3-bets, but this is, like, exactly the type of spot where I do fold 3-bets. But I would much rather continue with, like, 10-9 suited here than King-10 offsuit. I don't think that's super controversial. Like, obviously, it's nice to have kings, but we have so many other kings that are better than King-10 offsuit. So, to me, this is a pretty clear fold. I'm guessing it didn't fold...
1: No, I didn't fold. That's Uh, okay. Well, I mean, part of my reason for not folding is, one, it's like, I I basically didn't want to come to this game and fold to Kristen Bicknell. Like... uh, like, Then don't fold. Well, yeah. I mean, like, I just feel as though, like, one, she's exercising a down bet strategy in the flop, which means we're not going to be playing too big of pots, like, right off the bat, uh, even though she's, you know, 4x my 5x open. Uh, Like, yeah, we're playing for 200 big ones. We're playing... Sorry, we're playing, you know, like a relatively swollen pre-flop pot, but, you know, we're 300 big blinds effective. And, you know, I just generally will want to play pots with Kristen Bicknell, even at position, even with the bottom of my range. Like, you know, like this deep, I, I feel like I can justifiably, like it's not too big of a mistake or like, I feel like going post-flop, I won't make enough giant mistakes to really justify folding any of my opening range to a three-bet this deep uh, in this game, versus specifically Kristen Bicknell, who I know is going to be the widest with three-betting. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, basically that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's- <laughs>
0: I guess I don't... I think being when you're out of position, the fact that she's wider doesn't help you as much, especially when you have something like King-10, because that widening looks like, you know, some King-Jacks, some King-Queens, uh, some Ace-10 suited... You know, hands that dominate you in in various ways. And so I think that, I think everything you said is like a really good reason to call like a smaller Uh 3-bet. And when, for such like a large 3-bet. So like, I really like the observation that someone who chooses like a down-betting strategy, especially if they're not C-betting 100% of boards, which I'm sure she wouldn't. Like, we get to realize a lot of our equity versus that strategy. The thing is, when she makes a 200 pre-flop, now we're investing a lot with, when we're like well behind her range. And so even though we get to realize our equity more effectively and leverage effectively post-flop, we've lost so much, like all the times that we whiff and, and have to give up on flops. Yeah. And that, that combined with the fact that we're quite often dominated makes it not so appealing to me. But
1: okay, so one observation that I also make about this is that if we whiff the flop, when we like facing a down bet strategy, you almost like can't fold. This is like part of part of the like misunderstanding about this and like the way that it gets that people get away with it is that like when you face a down bet, you're just sort of never supposed to fold to it in theory. Like if you want to punish that, you know, that strategy of like down betting entire range on certain. Like, maybe not 100% of flops, but down betting 100% of range on certain flops, you know, most, especially against someone who's a wide three better, like, you're almost never supposed to fold. Uh, so I don't know that my strategy is just like hit a king and then like hope she no. like blows the fuck up. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Yeah. But uh, I'm more suggesting
0: like on a, you know, on like a 7 7 four flop. I yeah. think we probably have to check fold to third pot yeah. out of position. Especially since we're at like a huge disadvantage.
1: Yeah. Uh well this segues nicely into the flop <laughs> 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 which comes uh nine of clubs, deuce of clubs, deuce of hearts. Well that's different uh, than seven seven four, but Okay, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> it's still a tough spot. If we have backdoors and no Okay, well go ahead. I think we,
1: we kinda know what's gonna happen. But uh reveal the action, please. Yeah. Uh I check. Uh, she down bets 150 into 415, or 425, actually. And, yeah. And I could just tell you, well, yeah, since this is sort Which, of... What was her uh, sizing, 115? 150 into 415, or 425, okay. sorry. Yeah. So she bets 150, and I'll just spoil it. I decided to call, again, for the same reason. Like, I've looked at I've looked at this spot enough to realize that, like, there can be an argument of, like, if you can't fold this hand on the flop or something (laughs) like if you have to call this hand on the flop and you really don't have too much like knowledge of like what to do going past this, past this flop that it sucks to call and then have to call a flop bet out of position with, with King 10 back. And I have a backdoor uh, flush draw to the, to the 10. So, so I know that if I were to plug this in, I'm fairly certain if I were to plug this into a solver, it like 100% can't be a fold, but yeah. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'd be interested to see if this 100% can't be a fold with a solver. Yeah, I, I'm not as confident as you,
1: but okay. I'll, take for, I'll take your word for it. Give me the suits on the board again, like uh, uh, nine of clubs, deuce of clubs, deuce of hearts. I have king of diamonds, ten of clubs. <laughs> so that kind of sucks too, because like, like it, even if we were going to
0: narrow, if we were going to like split our range of king ten offsuit based on suit. I think like when we had the King of Diamonds, that would be the one we folded, because that never gets to like run a runner like a bluff spot where we have like a, a very relevant blocker. And so, yeah, I'm feeling like this is this is like a prudent fold.
1: But I don't like telling people to fold.
0: I don't like folding. Yeah.
1: I this just, is funny because this is exactly what happened on the Thinking Poker Podcast. Or it's just like I gave a hand history. He was just like, "Yeah, I would have folded. <laughs> yeah, I should have folded." And I'm just like, "Nah, listen." <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, okay. So so basically, like I'm coming to this game uh, looking to combat down strategy in a couple in a few different ways. One was to just raise flop uh, to have a, like a flop raising strategy on certain boards, and then also to. Uh, have either leading flop ranges or lead like calling flop leaning turn ranges. So basically like those are the three ways in which like I anticipate, like I anticipate calling this three bet. I anticipate uh, facing a down bet and yeah, I, I am going to like basically react with my hand to the board uh, and decide whether I am going to either uh, raise flop, lead flop, or, call flatly turn I guess like I, I find this board to be tough for your hand
0: like any it's tough for your hand because when we turn equity we can't really play that aggressively we can but it doesn't make so much sense uh, since anytime we turn equity in the form of like a 10 Jack queen or King our opponent turns significant equity as well um, and we don't have any kind of like advantage in terms of value combos or density of value combos. So even when the board is something like nine, five, three, then we're in a world where like, I guess you can represent nine set combos going forward. Where here. We can really only represent like three or four. I mean, obviously that those being boats and quads.
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean, part of it's just like part of it's yeah. What you can represent, but also like, we're dealing with fairly wide ranges and like, as you deal, you know, I mean, I guess it's like a three bet pot. So you're not like, we're not super wide, but like, as you get wider, like the nut combos that you can have only matter as much as somebody's willing to push them. Right. So like, yeah, I mean, like I just, I just feel like, I just feel like Kristen Bicknell would just have to be like, okay. Like, like every single time, like, okay, fuck this. I'm going to like raise this kid's flop turn which like is rough when you don't know the kind of opponent you're facing. Like like a flop turn or like a sorry, a flop lead or like a turn lead can be completely different ranges and you have to respond to them like accordingly. You have to like kind of know what they are in order to like handle them well, I feel like. For sure.
0: <laughs> okay. Now keep in mind that all I would all I would say is that like now we're sort of speaking in terms of parlays, like we've we've made the assumption that Kristen is going to be opening up her free bidding range to counter you based on yeah. the fact that you're opening the 5x and have been probably playing a number of hands but yeah. this is that's not a certainty so there there's a chance that her range is like much more weighted to like very strong hands uh-huh. um, in this spot which makes any sort of air versus air like if we can win the air versus air battle almost always then obviously continuing is going to be much more attractive. But if we're sort of parlaying like how much air we have versus her also not like engaging in a big like just sort of I'm I'm looking for a better word than dick swinging contest. <laughs> but if like it can't be that if here. she can win the dick swinging contest if she wants, right? Like you're you're you can't win it if she is engaging with you. So there's a lot that has to go right, which is why I think like just having like a bit more equity is. Nice. And uh-huh. having a hand like 8-7 suited with a backdoor is like so much better yeah. than having King 10 offsuit with like the King offsuit of the board. But I'm interested to see like how you, how it goes. And if for sure, like I endorse, if you are very confident that there's a bunch of error and that like anytime she has error, like she's just not going to be able to hold on on most runouts versus uh-huh. the strategy you're going to employ, And it's hard for me to argue with it. I, I can also point out that, like, King-10 blocks a lot of that air, which is not... It, it blocks value, too, though. So there's also, like, the issue that even if she doesn't combat you with aggression, I still think that doesn't mean she's going to, like, fold hands like Ace-King, Ace-Queen, Ace-Jack. You know, like a 6-3 runout.
1: Uh-huh. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, on a 6-3 run out, I probably don't get... Uh, like, you know, like, Despite, you know, despite me being like, like I'm going to have, you know, flop leads, flop raises and turn leads, uh, I don't, that doesn't mean that all of my range, like that calls flop doesn't just check full turn also. Like there are just like, I'm just going to play the run out with my hand for sure. Uh, and not, not go crazy on six, three with King 10. But uh, I, yeah, for what it's worth, I'd rather live in a world where this is a call. So I'm, I'm rolling <laughs> with you. Let's do okay. it. Cool. Turn is the absolute gin card, I believe, the Jack of Clubs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I tank for a bit, and then I lead 500 into 725. So I've turned a gut shot and, you know, arguably a range card, and a card towards my backdoor flush draw. Uh, so I decided to lead it. I think it's a pretty great card to lead, if any. But you already had commented on what you thought about feeling like it's hard to lead well, uh, it's... a jack
0: or a queen. I th- yeah. It's weird because... I mean, part of the problem is that when we... Like, our only, like, real value is, like, sets of nine Or, like, a nines full and jacks full. And, or, like, slow play the aces or something. Anything else this is this lead is, like, playing with fire. Yeah. Like, any any other value? I guess that's... I think the sizing was what confused me a little bit about this spot. It makes sense based on the fact that, like, we just want to kind of shut her down. Yeah. But from... In terms of someone who's going to be thinking about your range and what, what these tendons are of that range... Yeah. This sizing makes less sense to me. That makes um, sense. So, I guess I haven't seen enough of prison. Like, if this was Maria Ho and you just led, like... 350? I yep. can definitely see it working. Against Kristen, I don't I don't know if three fifty would work well enough or if five hundred seems plausible enough.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's like uh there's an interesting back and forth that I had in my mind, which is why I tanked so long, is I was like, okay, like a lead is merged, right? Like mm-hmm. in this in this spot you would want your lead to be merged. And I feel as though like providing a merged range in front of Kristen Bicknell is like exactly what will cause her to blow up. Right. So it's like, like it's like, like if I'm just like, okay, I have a nine and then she's, and then I make it cheap enough that she can be like, Oh, it's cheap enough. There's like enough hands that I can just fold. And, uh, it's definitely not like the greatest line in the world. Uh, and, and it was sort of like my first, you know, one of my first games going into it, where I know that all these people are, you know, using this strategy, and and like I want to combat it in some way. So, so I think I think yeah, the flop sizing is strange, uh, but mm-hmm. that was sort of what I was going through my head. It's like she's more likely to fold her shit and not attempt to combat me if I go smaller, which I should with my range. But if I go bigger, she's more likely to just be like, ah, it's not worth it. I give up <laughs> with with her with her air, which is what I'm you know targeting obviously. So.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's, yeah. So I guess that air would be like
0: Ace-3s, Ace-4s, Ace-5s, Ace-King, Ace-Queen?
1: Yeah. Uh, Ace-10, yeah. Ace-10, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, I did, I did lead 500. She did think about it for like a second and then folded and then said, Man, I almost decided to go crazy. <laughs> Which I thought was funny uh, because... You know, like, that's that's just what I am anticipating with any of these hands is, like, okay, well, there's some mm-hmm. likelihood that Kristen's just going to go crazy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> for, yeah. Interesting. And she ends up folding Ace-8 off, by the way. Uh, oh.
0: Well, results-oriented, that makes everything, like, a lot better. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. There were hands, like, I mean, again, there were hands that I saw... Uh, in the poker after dark, where she is just like, like doing some tourney player stuff and three betting, like offsuit, like junk aces, and like just down betting, like just basically down betting flop, hoping that she gets away with it. Uh,
0: if, and like, yeah, if yeah. I thought that kind of thing was more of a possibility, like I, I do think king ten becomes a much better call pre-flop the more like just shit aces get three bet. Yeah. Because then just not having an ace becomes so important. But
1: it even in that world, like, I might just prefer forbidding. But Yeah, we're just so deep though. Like the point the point of being this deep is yeah. like
0: you know, like I know, but you're already like you're already on this train where it's like you're just too wide and you're not gonna play well. And so to To take it post to say like I'm gonna take it post flop and make you not play well there versus just like say okay, I'm just gonna make you give up now. Uh-huh. It's it's a battle I often wage internally, because I also tend to take it post-flop. And, like, I think one of my former co host Zach's strengths, was that even though he had post-flop chops, he often just said, like, look, if I think like I ha- I can get this big-edge post- or pre-flop and someone's just way too wide because they're overreacting to my frequencies and they're just not going to, like, be able to stomach a 4-bet, uh-huh. then I'm just going to do it. So it's something to consider. But... Yeah. Definitely, knowing more about what you know about Kristen's three betting frequencies, you know, I'm airing more towards you on all streets, but I still think it's a little bit. <laughs> I just think this is a really shitty board uh, yeah. for us. And yeah, yeah.
1: All right. Yeah. Uh, well. Yeah. Part of this is like also like my general my general feel for Kristen's play after watching her is like she'll play the flop fairly well. And she'll kind of like not know what to do on turns and rivers and we'll just play passively from there. That's like another thing about this is like, like a down bet, a down bet flop strategy works because people will respond poorly on the flop. If people respond well on the flop and you don't know what to do on the turn, then it's kind of a bad strategy, I think. And that's sort of just the, the overarching theory that I had going into uh, this game is that like, despite these like, High ma- like Well known pros or whatever employing some of the best strategies from some of, like, learned from some of the best players. Like, I just think, like, I just, <laughs> I'm just anticipating that they're not as studied as they would need to be. For sure. About it.
0: Uh, I, I think introducing the turn lead to combat that is really nice. Even if this is one of the, like, boards where we can represent the least with the turn lead. I guess it didn't matter. So,
1: I like it. Okay, cool. So then uh, we have another hand versus Bicknell. This one uh, is double straddle. So it's 5-10-20-40. Kristen Bicknell is in the double straddle. Uh, I'm in the big blind. And it folds to us in the big blind. And we have ace, deuce off. And like $60 in dead money behind us. And like an ace. Uh, so I guess I just am curious as to what you think of this like position to be in, being out of position with a wheel off suit ace. and not yeah. just dead money. It's tricky.
0: My first instinct is to consider this as like a limp three bet, but I think there's a case for folding. I think this makes like a really good limp three bet when it's like a three blind game and with a big blind, when it's a four blind game, I think one, our kicker becomes like more of an issue just All trying right. to continue. And two, yeah, it's just it's a lot tougher to win pots, you know, out of position three ways at a high frequency versus, you know, out of position against one player at a high frequency when we get to the flop with our range advantage. But even yeah. though when it goes call, call check, we're gonna have a range advantage. It's still just well, tough out of position like, with two players. You feel like we would have
1: range advantage. If you a had a or- limp
0: only strategy. Oh, okay. Which okay, I think yeah. makes. Yeah, For I mean, I just don't play in four blind games that much, so it's not something I've thought about enough. In a three blind game, I'm normally limping from the big blind. In a four blind game, it might be worth splitting splitting your range. Yeah. Uh, I don't but, think I would raise this hand. Yeah. Yeah, I think this hand just becomes a fold unless we have a limping range. That's, <laughs> that's my hunch. But if. Who's
1: in between you and Kristen? Uh, Sam Simmons, owner of Poker Go.
0: How's. What's he been doing?
1: Playing a, a fairly, like, understandable pre-flop range, basically. Like, if he's raising, he's raising, you know, double broadways. It's probably, he's probably just going to live behind suited connectors. And, uh, like, he's just raising, like, a range that you would expect to be raised. Like a taggy. taggy yeah. Guy.
0: Okay. Again, With that player, then I think maybe there's more of a case for opening ace deuce offsuit. Like, if it was more of a, like, a solid pro plus... Uh-huh. then I think folding is probably dispensed with like a tighter player uh, who's going to have like more face-up ranges. Uh-huh. Then I think you could probably get away with raising. Okay. You still have to deal with Kristen. So by okay. this time, like do you think she knows that you had King 10 at hand?
1: No, I don't think she's paying attention to that. I don't think she's been watching the stream. Okay. Yeah. So now.
0: All right, then given those two things, I think there's much more of a case for raising. Like, if, okay. if you had, like, Kristen coming after you and also someone else competent in the blinds, then I think just fold. But-
1: yeah. I basically thought that my hand was too strong to to fold, but it would suck to raise into Kristen and then Kristen just be like, well, I have position, and this is already a huge pot, so so I can just three-bet, and then I just have to fold. Uh, so I actually decided mm-hmm. to lint call, <laughs> uh, which might not be, which, you know, uh, thinking of re raise is pretty good and I might have considered it and decided not to just because of, like, now I, I did know at this point that uh, she had Ace-8 in and, and that other hand and, like, just generally we'll expect her to be rather wide. So, like, I feel fairly comfortable just playing wide range versus wide range. What I, like, mostly what I've been playing uh, lately is is just online uh, 200 NL zoom, uh, like six max zone on ignition. Uh, and I'm using wide ranges there. I feel fairly confident using wide ranges versus wide ranges. Uh, so I limp called Sam Simmons folds, and Kristen makes it 140, uh, so like 3.3x, uh, over my limp, uh, and I decided to call. Okay. Yeah. The flop... Comes King of Hearts, Ten of Clubs, Deuce of Hearts, the pot of three oh five. Uh, I check and she down bets a hundred. Do we have the Ace of Hearts? Uh, no. Okay. We have the Ace of Spades. Probably just call. Yep. Yeah. I mean, my 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 thought was knowing that she generally doesn't know how to navigate turns, or my 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 assumption is that she might not know how to navigate turns as well as she should. Uh, so I feel like I can just call and like potentially suck out, potentially potentially just realize the deuce uh, when she just checks back turn. Yeah. Uh, so I do just call, and the turn comes the deuce of spades. Uh, so now it's king of hearts, ten of clubs, deuce of hearts, deuce of spades. I check, and she bets 200 into 500. Oh, man. I can't believe you didn't leave. Uh, right. Okay, yeah. I mean, my thought was, it, it's weird to lead. It's weird to lead a deuce, right? Like it's 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 it's, it's much more reasonable to lead a jack on, Is it? or or a, sorry, a club on nine club, like nine deuce deuce two clubs, jack of clubs. Like that makes more sense to lead. Like I I have hands that I'm.
0: It was nine deuce deuce two clubs. Yeah, jack of clubs. So the jack brought a third club.
1: Yeah. Oh, I thought it was
0: okay. Well, that changes things from the last hand. I thought yeah. it was rainbow.
1: No, I should have. Um, I should have. I should have brought up that I can have some flushes as, as my nut. Yeah, that's nice. Uh, that's
0: why it's yeah. nice to be able to have a flush. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were just talking. And about And you had the uh, ten of clubs, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes it really different. Okay. Yeah. Maybe. Um, yeah. <laughs> sorry. All right. Well, hopefully, people have listened to this far, and if they, it doesn't matter.
1: Like that, <laughs> now,
0: everyone is on the same page. Um, yeah. Mostly, I was just on a different page and probably everyone else was with you and was saying, what the fuck are you talking about? Jack?
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I should have argued that point. I, I didn't even think about it. I was just like, yeah, I just have a backdoor flush draw and a gut show. Yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah, I just decide that there's like, like, like my limp call. And then she, she down bets. I call like on King 10 with two hearts. Like is just like, there's just so many draws that I feel that leading, when none of the draws complete is, like, like bullshit. And then I have trips, right? So, like, it should be five. Yeah, I guess, like,
0: my thought here w- would be that I led in a spot where, obviously, it makes, like, a little bit more sense. It makes a good deal more sense. But still, <clears> I, I led in a spot where a lot of people wouldn't lead. And it's a spot where, like, you have to at least be thinking, of, if you're Chris and, like, is this guy just, like, leading a jack or a nine because he doesn't want to, you know, this guy's a fish. And so just taking, like, the same... Or, like, a very similar line. And just hoping that, like, she actually just, like, pulls the trigger or something this time. Yeah. When she has, like, Ace-Queen, Ace-Ten, Queen-Ten, or hearts, or even just, like, Ace-King.
1: Uh-huh.
0: That yeah. would be awesome.
1: Yeah, that would be dope. But I, I also think, think, like... She thinks I'm a leading fish. Uh, I think I'm... I don't know. I was just going to say, it's a
0: spot where check-raising a lot of your range is awkward. And... Yeah. I don't think we want to... We can always lead the river, but I do think it's nice in terms of like getting the max to have initiative on the river.
1: Right. And why do you think check raising is awkward? Um, because really like
0: only our deuces are strong enough to check raise and uh-huh. even those don't love like getting free bet. So it's like with our value, we're looking more to like put max two bets in on the turn. Uh-huh versus, like, risk having to put in three bets and then face, like, an all-in on the river. Like, obviously when we have a deuce, we're probably calling off, but it's not, like, the greatest thing in the world. And there's going to be, like, runouts that make... We're going to have to check-raise check on, like, a fair amount of runouts.
1: So there's, uh-huh. I think... But let's, let's, let's also look at her turn sizing, because, like, if she, like, pots the turn or, like, uses actually a polarizing sizing, she's using, like... A pretty face, like what feels like a face-up range sizing. So she goes two hundred into five hundred. I don't think she's. I mean, it's possible that she's just like milking me along with my draws, hoping mm-hmm. I hit and then like potting river or whatever with, mm-hmm. with boats or something. But it feels like it feels like she's not trying to get too much money in the pot uh, with the, with another down bet. For uh, sure, with, I I like check raising over this sizing, but when we're like deciding whether to lead or
0: check, I think that's a, the point in the hand where we're thinking that like we might be uncomfortable check raising.
1: That's real, yeah. But also, like, right? It's like either we face a size that is like easy to check raise, or we have a great bluff catcher versus, versus a big sizing. But I don't know. Yeah, I don't no. Know. I, I mean, it's yeah. hard. But you
0: can't go wrong at this point. Yeah, yeah. Right. You're right. No. I mostly like lead because it's the most fun. But yeah. I
1: just I'm just thinking about what I'm representing and like if I like what but she would have to think that I am a fish with too many bluffs if I am leading the deuce. Right. Like it just like, it's kind of like I'm repping, I'm repping. She could very smartly maybe like fold sometimes because she's just like, wow, you have no bluffs or like you suck. (laughs) And like, I've tried, I've played as hard as I could to not suck up to this point. (laughs) So, uh, I just feel like it's really, it really is, it's fun for sure because you're just, because you're, it's like, it feels like you're a scientist, like, like going into unexplored territory or something. I don't know why scientists would do that, but uh, I just feel like it's really strange in terms of like, for me, thinking about what my range would be leading that's not just nutted. Well, yeah, I think you might be projecting too much of like understanding that your leads here are nutted. Right, because I can't think of bluffs. I can't think of bluffs that don't just suck to bluff lead. Yeah, I think
0: what we're when we lead, we're more hoping that like it comes across as like top hair or like a jack looking for protection. Okay, sort of in like a futile fish manner.
1: but yeah it, which I is think... actually also, I don't think a bad now that you, now that you mention it, I don't think it's bad to lead King Jack facing it down bet but I yeah. No, no, I, I
0: don't I agree. But that is kind of falling in like there's not a huge difference between like a Deuce and King Jack. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Anyway, I do agree with you that it might look like you just don't have bluffs when you lead. And so I think there's definitely a case for check starting with a check and evaluating based on sizing for especially yeah. that reason. So we check C two hundred and then that's like I think a pretty clear check raise how big do we go? Uh,
1: I went to seven hundred.
0: Okay. What? Well, how deep are you guys again?
1: I started four K effective. Pot will be if she calls. Pot will be two thousand, and I guess I'll have three thousand behind or something. Cool. I think you can. I think
0: you could check this bigger to try and yep. shove river, but uh, I, it's also the other thing about <laughs> this street is this is like your best chance to get value from a lot of her range. Uh-huh. If we're going to be bluff catching a lot of rivers. So, yeah. it's something to consider.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I would have wanted to go bigger. But also, Just, like, I don't think there's ever a chance that we ship River. Unless it's, like, a huge overbet. Which I guess we could. And, like, I should with the juice. But, uh... I mean, there's... Because there's no way to avoid, like,
0: losing the max on, like, a, like a blank seven. Yeah. I think we should probably be thinking shove. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I... This tends... This happened to me a lot when I played on live at the bike, in like a five ten twenty game. I was just consistently like raising like a little too small for some reason. Something, I don't know what it was about that environment, but almost all the mistakes I felt like I'm making that session were just like raising too small. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know if that's just something to try and keep in the back of my mind the next time I play on TV. Yeah, yeah. I don't
1: know. I don't know why either. I thought seven hundred was was bigger uh, i think in the game i was like that's more than 3x Sick. yeah huge yeah but yeah uh so here's the 700 she thinks for a bit and calls and then the river is the four of hearts completing the flush mm-hmm. and it's on us how sticky is kristen i think very sticky okay then i think
0: like betting small is probably best
1: so one, one note about this that... Sorry, you should complete your thought, maybe. Our sort of more pulled range
0: on the turn mm-hmm. is pretty strong now. And so, like, when we're up against more bluff catcher hands, we, in theory, should be presenting, like, a better price. And our bluffs, like, you know, queen 10 with, like, a heart, that kind of thing, those can probably get away bluffing for, like, a smaller price, something more like 800, And giving her room to bluff. Like, our Nutted Hands also want to give her room to bluff. She might decide to pull the trigger with her. Um, Obviously, when we have exactly Ace-Deuce, it's going to be awkward to face a race. Awkward in the sense that probably we just fold.
1: Right. So yeah, that's what I was going to say. like I wanted to bet small, and she had already done this already this session where she just like had a naked ace of heart river raise uh, that she pulled off when the flesh came in. So like, I know that she's capable of that. Like just being like, Oh, I have a heart. Let's go for it. And like, that's like, that really sucks when we have ace, do no snow heart. Uh, and like in her, de- like, so in her defense of that, it's just like, she gets to realize these rivers a little bit better or something. Or like, I mean, there's ace, just not much you can that's, do. That's, yeah.
0: Yeah. The, the real, I think that this decision really hinges on like when she, like when she has ace queen or ace ten with the ace of hearts, like she's probably just gonna go for it and that sucks. Yeah, but she she just gets to because she has boats, and so it really to me it hinges on like when she has ace jack with ace of hearts or ace king with ace of hearts So she say, well I beat I unblock queen ten and I block. You mean?
1: So the 10 is on the board, not the jack. It's king 10 deuce. Okay. Just yeah.
0: So when she has ace 10 or yeah, ace king with the yeah. ace of hearts, does she decide to raise or does she just decide to call blocking value um and beating bluffs, buff, beating like queen jack?
1: are you asking me? Because Yeah, she, what do you think
0: she what do you think she would do? Because I think yeah. if she's going to raise those hands and we're going to fold, then we're making a mistake
1: by Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that she's like capable of I don't know about Ace King, but probably like probably Ace Ten. Uh, but like again, going back to that other hand that like was like the infamous hand that I saw before going here. Like, like she did like turn like a pretty weak, I guess like in a sense a weak bluff catcher with no blockers into a into a bluff on the river. So it's like it's pretty hard to know that she's not going to like just be bluff heavy on river right. raising spots. Well, then I yeah. guess we probably just have
0: to call instead of yeah, bet, bet just that call. call. Yeah.
1: yeah I mean, I, yeah. I think that's,
0: if that's how it's going to shake out, that's great.
1: Yeah.
0: And it just, it, it also means like if she's going for thin value, then she gets the max, which that's, isn't great, but yeah I, I actually think that part of what's nice about this situation is that like when she has the nut flush, I think there's like a pretty good chance she just shows for value. But when she uh-huh. has like, the queen eye flush, like she doesn't shove her value. That's, that's good. And uh-huh. maybe some nut, maybe like some of the times she's the type of player who wouldn't shove the nut flush on like a paired board. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so if her value raising range is like thinner than it should be, and her bluff range is wider, then it could work out with really it nicely. And I think it's, that's more likely than her being light on bluffs and like always shoving the nut flush and having all commas of the nut flush to begin with.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I took a a crap. I, I checked <laughs> like a baby, and she checked back uh, Jack ten with a Jack of Hearts. Yeah.
0: I guess she just figured you didn't have any check folds when you tanked like that. I don't know.
1: Did... Yeah, I didn't. I didn't tank too much on the turn, but I did give a little bit of thought uh, to like, God, it would suck to get raised check. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That's about as much thinking as I did in the moment, probably. Yeah, I bet you would have got it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like it's. I was, like, I was just like, God, if I get raised, I have to call. That sucks, check. Which, in reality, I should be like, if I have to call when I get raised, that's a fine spot. <laughs> but, yeah, it's just like, I was, if, if you go back and watch, you'll just see this, like, very stern Base on on me. So I was definitely like emotionally overwhelmed in that spot, probably, uh, which just led to me just checking instead of that calling.
0: Yeah. I mean, if she, there is a case, the case we're checking is if she's going to try and bluff with every like queen, jack, ace, jack, ace, queen combo, which there could be a lot of.
1: Right.
0: And so that's. Really nice and a lot lower variance. But I think it I think Ace Queen and Ace Jack are likely to knuckle back. Which means that even though we get a lot more value every time anytime she has Queen Jack, um she also might only be calling the Queen Jack with a heart on the turn. So it's not uh, yeah, I just don't think it's quite enough to make me not want to bet.
1: Yeah, yeah. Also like when the flush comes in, yeah, the hands that I'm ripping when I check razor you know, Ace Queen just beats, Ace Queen just wins, like, some of the time, so she probably doesn't, doesn't bluff them, because uh, it's just got showdown value. On you the know, turn? On the river. Oh, yeah, back? no,
0: I, yeah, I agree, I don't think she would,
1: she would bluff. Yeah.
0: Although, maybe, it's one of these weird spots where it's, like, if you really just, like, showed up with, like, what do you have that Ace Queen beats that's, like, not bluffing on this river? So there's... Yeah. I think there is a case that like, ace, I think there's a really good case that ace queen, ace jack should bluff. Especially when they have the heart. But yeah. She definitely might. I think, th- I think players check back showdown when they really have no showdown. A lot. Uh. Even like, I think even jack 10 like kind of falls in this category. Where it's like when you check, I understand checking back thinking that like you don't have that many check folds. But, like, when you have something that Jack 10 beats, like, are you really just, like, giving up on this river?
1: Uh huh. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, honestly, the fact that she didn't bet Jack 10 is probably evidence that she wouldn't bet his green as Jack. And that might be a big mistake. Uh-huh. Anyway. Yeah, no, I appreciate you coming on and, uh, sharing these spots there. One, I just appreciate you always, like, going for blood. That's something that, I we don't we don't get to talk about lots like that enough on this show, you know. It's a lot of, I think, hands that people are presenting because, you know, they want to show like that they did the right thing, uh-huh. uh, instead of like say like I am trying to do like the best possible thing and I'm not afraid to fail. And yeah, playing on TV is hard. I think it's fun.
1: Yeah, it's sick. I like it. I would do more of it. Uh, I try to do more of it, but. Yeah. yeah. It, it was great. Yeah. I, I just feel like I, I felt pretty confident going to the game just because I was like, okay, like I'm going to play like these three people that I don't know fairly similar to, they're probably going to play fairly similar to anyone that I would normally play, like any rando in the pool that I would usually play. And then I'm going to be playing against three pros who like are going to be confident in their strategies yet, like often be faced with tough decisions against it. And what ended up happening in the session is Kristen Bicknell just had it so much uh, in these, in, in some other hands that I played against her to the point where it was just hard for me to really combat her. Uh, there's another hand that I was, that I was going to bring up and maybe we could talk more about later, but I check Ray's way out of any sort of construction with queen Jack off on eight, four deuce uh, because I'm just like, you don't have enough hands that can call a check raise and a bet. And she just had 8-4. And I was like, fuck. Uh, so it's just like it was a, some spots like that. Yeah, people, and,
0: who, people who play wide ranges and make hands tend to win money. Yeah. At least in that session. It's sort of an unstoppable strategy of like being way too wide and always having it. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It's the best strategy. I try to play it, but that's... Uh, yeah. That's what's sort of done me the, in these last couple of months, uh, is playing a white strategy and not having it. So, which happens a lot when you play white. Yeah, I don't know. That's dreams. weird. Yeah, yeah. Weird how that happens. I
0: mean, I think it's like a really weird thing in poker that is underestimated. Just having to make decisions with, or just under like just a degree of scrutiny that is on such a like hugely different scale. Like it might not matter to you, and I think it's easy. For anyone to like say that it doesn't matter to them but the truth is like normally no one sees what you do and then all of a sudden there's like probably five to ten thousand people who are going to see what you do
1: right yeah i don't think actually that it i don't i don't think i agree with you that i don't think anyone that says it doesn't matter is being honest i do think that it motivates me to perform better it like is like Uh, a thing that triggers like putting me into the zone in a way like it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't scare me into like making bad decisions it more just like motivates me to be like okay like I am going to be like I was dead exhausted at the end of the session like I spent the entire like next day in bed because I had just like thought so hard through every single hand (laughs) that I just didn't have any energy left the next day uh so like so yeah it really it really kicked my butt into gear, uh, to be playing on TV. And I think that happened. That happened when I played on live at the bike as well, is that I just was like thinking through every spot pretty intensely to the point where I just like worked my entire body out of energy. Yeah. I'm looking forward to achieving that level of focus at the poker table. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's, it's, it's only good if like,
0: it wouldn't be anything to do like during the main event. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Or, or like even, even like, I mean, if you could just have a strategy that doesn't exhaust, like if you could just play and have it not exhaust you and also play fairly well, then that's probably more desirable than working yourself to no energy and playing just a tiny bit better because then you just get to play the next day. Yeah I, was, <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, I was much more invested in my seafood fried rice on Live at the Pike. <laughs> than the majority of the action. Yeah. Just kidding. But they <laughs> do have really good fried rice. Uh, I yeah, do they, recommend they it.
1: They have okay food and great
0: hops. Yeah,
1: $5 yeah an hour. I, I ate for free. That was great.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So, Christian, yeah. people, pro- <laughs> people
0: probably are a good amount of people who listen to the show. Also, listen to Thinking Poker, and so mm-hmm. a lot of them probably heard your episode. I don't know what was it like, almost a year ago, or uh,
1: it would have been uh, it would have been the
0: beginning of summer. Okay, so like six months ago. That's right. I was yep. in San Francisco. Anyway, so. In that conversation, you spoke about being an anarchist living in an unusual living situation. I think people probably have heard throughout this podcast, people coming in and out
1: uh, in the (laughs) background. Um,
0: Hopefully it wasn't distracting. I don't think it was.
1: Have you gotten anyone that you're living with into poker? Not anyone that I live with. We've had a lot of discussions about it. Because I, I live here and there's some people that are just generally into scheming and they're like, man, I don't want to work for anybody. Like poker sounds dope because, you know, that's that's like part of the appeal. Right. But like in general, it's just like, you know, people have an aversion to gambling and you poker generally is gambling sometimes, too. And they're just like, uh, I don't know if I want to do that, but I trust you. Uh, there's there's some people that I know that are other competitive gamers like 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 play play other games. We've been we've been. Like, a lot of the people that I live with, we just got Super Smash Bros and have been, like, like watching a lot of videos of, like, pros playing and, like, learning about, like, high-level Smash strategy uh, and uh, just talking about that. So that's cool. But uh, in terms of my immediate people that I live with, no one's into poker. Although we have talked about, uh, there was a kid uh, that we had met who was talking about developing AI uh, to beat poker players. And we had a lot of discussions about AI and stuff. But yeah. There's a lot of
0: sort of strands of anarchism. Is there sort of a more nuanced term that describes your sort of political views or your views of how humans should organize themselves?
1: Uh, Most of it lately has been like social ecology, uh, which is the work of this guy, Murray Bookchin, who's uh, like a more contemporary anarchist thinker who has influenced like a lot of activism uh, in the U.S. So he did this thing called the Institute of Social Ecology in which he would invite activists from all over the U.S. to come and he'd explain his ideas of social ecology and then send them back to their communities. Uh, so, so a lot of like activist thinking has been like, slightly informed by his thinking without no, too many people really even knowing his name. And more... Uh, explicitly, I guess there's like the, the movement in Rojava, uh, in, in the Kurdish region of like Syria and in, in the middle East there, uh, where they're organizing along, like basically this guy was a like the, the guy that's sort of, uh, leading this movement in Rojava was a communist who had gone to jail and started reading Murray Bookchin and then came out sort of like really influenced by his ideas. And a lot of people are looking to that region as like a pretty uh, interesting, like political, like experiment, I guess, like sort of this city and region who are like, you know, fighting against ISIS and have like women on the front lines in their military and are like organizing in fairly uh, non-hierarchical structures. So, yeah, that's 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 what I've been more interested in, I guess and a lot of people around me have been more interested in.
0: Marie Bookchin. That's interesting. I yeah. wonder what it is about Murray's that are drawn to anarchism. Since I've been reading a lot of Murray Rothbard, who obviously is coming to like a stateless solution in, from a very different mindset about how maybe humans should be interacting or transacting with each other. But yeah, that's, we're two for two. <clears throat> how does, how does your community see poker as a profession, you know, relating to sort of broader goals of the movement or as sort of a way of earning money or contributing to I don't know. Like, I don't know how you guys would view it.
1: Yeah. Uh, I had a conversation. Uh, so, so the group chat that I, that I interact with the most about poker is, uh, that of my old coach, uh, persuadio and, in the group, there is a, a guy who goes by Dierdacher, uh Andrew, who is an American capitalist. Uh, and we had a discussion and I remembered saying like in the in the grand scheme of things, when people think about like who's contributing to the the most to society, like poker players are like bottom tier, like really aren't doing much at all. Uh, they're just playing a game and like kind of in a sense, like he tried to compare it to entertainment like being a professional poker player, like, like, and I've heard people make this argument too. It's like, uh, they're, we're just like entertainers, you know, like we're like any other athlete, like a baseball player. And I was like, yeah, but pro baseball players don't show up at little league fields and like, like ask, <laughs> ask to play little kids for money. Right. So like, well, so there's something that's like, or uniquely, like amateur leagues might be better. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So like, it's so, it's like s- such a silly kind of evil thing uh, that, that I like, reconcile just by being like well i need to make a living i want to do something i enjoy you know at a certain at a certain level you don't have to like at a certain level of play you're not necessarily worrying about like class uh, dynamics of like me being like a person with a middle class socioeconomic background going to play cash games with people who are playing with like playing like one two with like 30 to 50 percent of their net worth or something you know So, you know, there, there's like a lot of different things going on, but in the end, it's just like, you know, activism and movement building takes multiple, it takes, it takes like people establishing projects and people supporting those projects. And, you know, if, if I can, you know, I I didn't go to college, you know, I have almost no resume after being uh, a musician for like a professional musician for, nine years or something like this band has existed for nine years. So it's hard for me to just like go get a job that like pays really well. I've, I've I've been involved in enough like alternative education projects that I could probably be in like working in alternative education, but there's really not so much around, uh, surprisingly, uh, Massachusetts that is able to be plugged into, uh, like a fair, living wage. Uh, so my, so my goal is basically play poker as a way to earn money and donate it, donate a portion of my net worth or like my earnings to projects that I care about and supporting people who are doing labor that like generally doesn't uh, like there's no money in. So, which is most activist projects, because like, you know, if you're, if you're doing work for people, uh, if you're doing work to support people who don't have resources, they can't be the one to give you resources. Right. So, so that would be, that's like my general, like the general difficulty in, in me, you know, digesting like stateless, stateless capitalism is like, what happens when there are people with less resources that need your work and how, how is that valued in accordance to like luxury goods? Right. So yeah, I, that, that, that seems to be like where, where I can just reconcile, all of these like iffy moral territories about like playing a game that is almost entirely reliant upon you having more information like just like manipulating information and denying information to people and essentially essentially sort of you know you know manipulating their thought process in a moment and uh, just being better than them at that. Right I think you know it's interesting to look at poker as
0: sort of a game of it's more of it's sort of like a somewhat meritocratic or it's very meritocratic but it's a relatively meritocratic like resource reallocation based on the display of skills that correlate with the types of skills that would be required to allocate resources effectively for the you know greater welfare of society at large would be a way of describing how poker can be viewed in a more, gen- in a more generous way. Like I think a lot of it to me, it depends on, you know, what you do with the money you win at poker. that defines like the sort of values around being a poker player as right. a professional. And so the fact that overall, like smart people who are thoughtful, can think critically, can think differently, will win in the long term in poker. I would I'm comfortable seeing those people with more money, even understanding that like like what's what darkens the picture of this sort of more generous view of poker is that a lot of the people who are losing are people who have maybe been given substandard education by the state. And And we're never given the tools to think critically and succeed in this environment. Now, that being said, that's a tragedy, but it's not a tragedy that's necessarily solved by giving resources to those sorts of people, or at least large amounts of resources to go deploy in other areas. And I also think that like a lot of the biggest whales in poker, mostly just by the economics of it, are people who have a lot like a good amount of money and you know, risk it poorly. And I think those are the people who we would most like to see a reallocation of resources from.
1: Yeah. I don't, well, I don't think, I don't think you can view societal politics in the same way that you view poker. I think it's a completely different environment. I think like I, I wouldn't ever argue any, like you couldn't, you couldn't use poker to argue uh, any sort of socialist, uh, model. Like it's just the, the fun, like, the function of it and and what your goals are and and are just are just way different, I think, than any sort of societal model. <laughs> well,
0: uh, right, no, I'm not it's not an yeah, analogy yeah. to a societal model. Okay. It's a it's a voluntary, nonviolent method of reallocating resources from people who have displayed like less competence to people who have displayed more competence, essentially. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's any game, right?
0: Sort of. Any game for money that has, you know, skill. Yeah. Or some sort of monetary unit. Yeah, yeah. Now, it's... I think the the natural follow-up question is, if you have displayed the competence required to win in poker, and your goal is to, like, accumulate wealth in order to use it to create the world that you want to see, poker's probably not your best course. But I think, as you mentioned, and as I can relate to, it is a course that provides a lot of flexibility. And when you're young or career options are more limited, I do think it serves an important role in that circumstance.
1: Yeah. 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 There's also just like, yeah, I I don't think that it's going to, to make me like a buttload of money, but I, I I feel as though it's like a fine, like a fine way for me to, to spend my time in a a sense where I don't have many other work opportunities as it stands. Uh, So, yeah. So I agree.
0: Uh, so Christian, I know you need to get going soon. Is there any sort of method for listeners to stay in touch with you, see what you're up to? Yeah, like uh,
1: that? yeah, I have a Twitter. I almost tweet nothing about poker because none of my friends want to hear it unless I'm unless it's like I'm on TV. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, my Twitter is at moldyfish and. You could ask me poker questions there, and or like you know respond to certain hand things there. That's really my public way of of contacting me. Uh, if you wanted to contact me privately, I have an email, which is which my poker email is just moldyfishy uh, at gmail.com. That's just my screen name for everything. So yeah, those would be the ways.
0: And are you? I saw you were making some content for somebody. I don't know if you want to. Get... Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, that's all private stuff. Oh, okay, so, never so, mind. No, yeah, well, it's it's just I have a coach, uh, and we have a private forum. And I was just I did a I did a little like webinar thingy on efficient learning and and construction stuff, and then posted that there.
0: Yeah, I think but, yeah, being a musician is a really good method for like learning how to learn and internalize things. So, yeah, I'd be curious. I feel like your perspective on that in poker might highlight like a lot of the things that. I've thought personally about that subject coming from a background of, you know, practicing the piano quite a bit for 20 years or so.
1: Yeah. We might have completely different ways of approaching music though. So like, so like I am not a skilled instrumentalist uh, in any, in any means. Most of like, I think my skill and music comes from like songwriting and like structuring of, of, that but i'm not a like i have a friend who's going to uh, boston conservatory right now and or or i guess yeah yeah conservatory school music and she's talking about all the different ways in which different people there are uh, like just super instrumentalist and not like don't know how to compose and i think i guess i guess from that angle i'm the exact opposite where like I, I can think kind of abstractly about how I compose, but I can't, really, uh, I can't really do the sort of efficient learning that I needed to do to learn an instrument. Uh, so, so maybe, uh, maybe, maybe uh, I can't provide the, the thought that you're thinking I can, but yeah. Well, we'll see. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Let me know what you think of that.
0: Yeah, Awesome. Christian, thanks again for joining us. Uh, yeah. and I'll see you, all of you listening to this uh, next week.